Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the church say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give, uh, give in my house, I will, I, will, I will give in my house and within my walls a, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, and I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. We're going to jump across to 1 John, 1 John 4, 15 to 19. And it says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever, fear, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Thank you so much um, for that. Uh, and if you guys don't know what a eunuch is, you will after this. <laughs> um, hallelujah, it's relevant. Um, and so... <laughs> Today, I want to share my story with you from about 10 years ago, which if you told me today I'd be standing in front of you as a Christian apologist, I would have scoffed and had the most incredulous and virulently violent reaction, probably thrown up a little bit in my mouth and told you to just get out and shut the front door. Um, <laughs> So Christianity to me was a system of morality and moralism that oppressed women, it oppressed LGBTQI people, and it was a repressive ideology that kept our sexual desire under, and it was basically the, the bastion that stopped gay liberty from coming to the world, and that it needed to be completely brought to the ground. It was a code in a rule book that condemned me, it was a God who said, oh, I'm going to let you have these desires and you can't change them, but I'm going to punish you for them and I'm going to condemn you for them and I don't love you and you're a piece of trash. And that's what I thought God thought of me for a very long time. And so at university, one day, I saw all of these Christian posters at UTS, blue pastel colors, <laughs> boring and drab and dead. And I said, Credo, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and I got all my big Gay Marriage March posters and my staple gun <laughs> against the wall, against every single Christian poster I could find. And basically the whole campus was just glorious and rainbow. And I just felt this sense of justice. Yes, take that Christianity. But you know what? That Christianity that I was reacting against is a Christianity I still very much disagree with today. And that Christianity I perceived wasn't actually Christianity, and it had very little to do with the person of Jesus Christ. And so I think what we need to remember as Christians is that the gospel is not law, the gospel is grace. And that is not a cheap grace. It's not a license to sin, but it's an invitation. And as I was on the ferry 
on my way over here, the Lord impressed upon my heart the end of Scripture, where it says, all the nations came to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the word in Greek for nation isn't ethnicity, it's ethnikos, which actually means people group, gay, straight, male, female. There is now no male, female, Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And all are being invited to this table. But the church has often done the job of Satan, the accuser, and said, here's the law, homosexuality is a sin. And the gay community says, great, so you're saying to me, Christian, that I can't have a relationship with God and I can't have a relationship with a romantic other. So basically, you just shut down the two highest forms of transcendence in my life and you just deleted me out of existence. Great, well, I'm going to go campaign against you because you're all just completely bigoted and ridiculous. And people leave the church without ever hearing the actual gospel. And so I think today what I want to tell you is the way, the narrow way of Jesus Christ that I have had to walk on, but actually every Christian is called to walk on. And I say I'm so grateful, as I said before, for being gay or same-sex attracted because it has driven me to find that narrow path. And it's not easy. It is really hard in this culture to find that narrow path. And so today I want to share God's love and the story of God's love with you. And this love story will never be outdated, it will never be irrelevant, and it will never be defeated. And I will be suggesting today through my story that Christianity cannot and never will be irrelevant or outdated precisely because the human desire for love, truth and real transcendence will never change. And C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this wealth can satisfy, then I know there must be another world. And I would actually take that a step step further. I know that there must be a God. There must be a being of love that can fulfill that desire because it doesn't matter what relationship I'm in, gay or straight. That person will never fulfill me. That person can never be God to me or I'm worshipping an idol. And so if we don't know this love, if we don't know this grace from Jesus then we are actually living under death. We are actually living where the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. That doesn't mean the Bible's not true. It doesn't mean the Bible isn't the inspired Word of God. But it's how we come to that Word, it's how we access that Word that actually really matters. And I think we need to emphasize that. And today, we often, as a church, put our head in the ground when it comes to homophobia because we're so overwhelmed with the needs out there. We feel like, how can I even go and combat homophobia? But when I was 15, I was in a park, and my uh, Russian Orthodox Orthodox boyfriend handed me a little pouch, and in this pouch was um, a little cross with a silver necklace, and he was Russian Orthodox. This was his baptismal cross. And we had a beautiful relationship. He was probably probably my greatest relationship ever um, before I became a believer, and... um, He pulled this cross out, and it glinted in the sun, these little golden flecks through this amber cross. And this moment, he put it in my hand, and we kissed. And this man pulled up on a motorbike, pulled up his visor thing, grabbed a massive brick, and threw it across the park, and it hit my back and winded me. 
And I just remember this rage filling me, like, how can this homophobia exist? And I think weeks later, we ended up at CBD near the um, Royal Botanical Gardens. We're holding hands, and a man came up to me and him and spat on my face and was just, like, disgusting and said that to us. And the hurt and the pain and the dehumanization of that acts or those acts are things that we as a church need to identify with. We need to come alongside and be like, that is not okay. That is deeply sinful. And we actually need to say no. <laughs> like, that homophobia, and if we have ever had our hands involved in that, we need to repent and say sorry to the gay community. And so I needed that love. I needed that grace. Um, but what happened to me was basically... As I grew up, I started to develop what I would call a gay rights mentality, a gay lobby mentality, where I actually, this spiritual radical Henry Nouwen, who's a celibate, um, same-sex attracted priest, um, he wrote that the greatest danger for our spiritual lives, the lives of the beloved, the, the voice that says, I love you, you are my child, I am your father, um, he says the greatest danger the greatest threat to that is not money, it's not success, it's not popularity. It's self-rejection. It's actually the greatest sin to say, God, you could never love me, or God, I'm never going to share the love you have for me with someone else and the love you have for them. To refuse to share the love of God with someone for any reason, or to refuse to receive the love of God for any reason. And that is the greatest blockage to real relationship with God. Um, Wesley Hill one of my favorite writers says, one of the most striking things about the New Testament teaching on homosexuality is that right on the heels of the passages that mention homosexual activity, there are, without exception, resounding affirmations of God's extravagant mercy and redemption. God does not see homosexual behavior as the will of God for our lives, but amazingly and profligately, at the great cost of himself, lavishes his love on homosexual persons. And so, like Wesley, I want to stress to you today that no matter your position on this issue, God uncategorically loves gay people and has a plan for their lives. And so I want to share my story um, of how that happened for me. So as I grew up in my adolescent years, I depended, heaven, depended heavily on what I would term spiritual fads. Some of these fads would be, you know, I might see in a film like Eat, Pray, Love, carbohydrates, Italian language learning, and my, my gay lover in Paris with a poodle and an orphan. And, you know, that was my, like, that was my, like, heaven, you know, that I was, I was going after. Hallelujah. And then <laughs> it didn't work. And I kept finding myself falling short of the poodle and the Parisian apartment and the partner and saying, you know, why... Is this not working? And I explored reconstructionist religions like Wicca, neo-paganism, Druidism, uh, Buddhism, uh, Buddhist existentialism. I, basically everything that you can mishmash together that doesn't involve Islam, I tried it. Um, <laughs> and um, I was on the spiritual market for significance and meaning in a society where human beings are starving for real spirituality. And when I was 15, in Newtown, it's like my favorite, just little chai, soy chai. <laughs> Go see a film at the Dandy. 
I was there with my token feminist friend, Liz. And she dyed her hair black because she was blonde and was like, yeah, take that patriarchy. And I was like, I really miss my spiritual life. Oh my gosh, Liz, like, what should we do? I mean, there's like this psychic down the road. Do you want to go get a reading? She's like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. So there's only one left for the day. The lady with the, you know, dreadlocks tied up in a barn and the patchouli oil. And we walk in. I'm like, 20 bucks. Great. See you in 15. Get in. This lady called Rose is there with the like powdery cheeks. Welcome, David. You know, and she puts out the tarot cards. I'm like, I'm so excited. What is it going to look like? Um, <laughs> and she lays them out. And she looks and she goes, <gasps> like this. I'm like, oh my gosh, what? And she's like, you're so blessed. You're very highly favored. She says to me, you're destined to be with the greatest spiritual mediator in the heavenly realms, Jesus Christ. And you're a child of the light. And he has chosen you. I'm like, ah, can I have my 20 bucks back, thanks? <laughs> and so I walked out and I was fuming. I'm like, Liz, she's an undercover Christian evangelist. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is so not legit. I'm so annoyed. Uh, I am like offended as a hipster. And Liz is like, well, maybe she's right. I used to be a Christian and like, you know, they're probably like wrong on gender, but like there's some good stuff there. So I was like, Liz, how can you say that? She's like, well, look, let's just, I'll go back and we'll check if this lady is an undercover evangelist. She goes back, the psychic says absolutely nothing about Jesus Christ. And I'm like, I just couldn't take that. God was reaching out to me. Jesus was after me, but I wasn't ready to give, to have that relationship. And all of us can be in different places, but I would recommend today, just step over the line. Just go for it. Don't hold back. If you're not a Christian, just try it. What have you got to lose? Like, you don't even have to agree with me. Just try it, you know. Actually read the Bible for once instead of pretending you've actually read it. Um, <laughs> which is what I used to do. Um, um, so at the, age of eight, at the age of 19, I'd become a big gay rights activist involved in the Labour Party. And I found myself in a close relationship with three guys at uni, my best friend and his boyfriend, who's a fashion designer. I went for a retreat. It was pretty stereotypical Blackheath. We go up there, and basically, like, this love triangle of Woody Allen, like, proportions <laughs> plays itself out in front of me. And this guy takes me down. My best friend's boyfriend is like, you are the most fascinating person I have ever met in my life. Here is my fashion design collection, which was glorious. It was like, you know, and finally someone had, like, cared about me and seen me and loved me and was inspired by me, and I just couldn't resist it. The immorality of my heart trumped any moral ethic in my head. And it actually, the reality is, Blaise Pascal says, the heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. And you can have your reasoned out moral standards, and you can try and construct your own morality, but at the end of the day, your desires will always take over. You know, and our desires aren't always good. And I lost my friend, my best friend. And I had this deep conviction, I wouldn't have said I'm a sinner, but that I fell short of my own moral standards. That's actually what being a sinner means. And so it wasn't, I felt like David and Bathsheba, if you know that story. I'd seen my Bathsheba. And, uh, but Jesus stepped in and saved the baby. Praise 
praise the Lord. And it wasn't until Christmas lunch 2008, three months later, that I was in the family, you know, Greek family Christmas table, and my born-again Christian fundamentalist uncle is there, and I'm ready to pulverize him with my postmodern cultural studies degree. There's Latal Katz over there who did a degree with me over there. And so I said, well, you Christians think you know the absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. It's absolutely ridiculous, delusional. What about all the Hindus? What about all the Muslims? And, you know, I have studied postmodern philosophy, and I can tell you, you can't even produce truth with language, so don't even try to talk to me about God. I mean, it's just crazy. And by the way, I'm gay, and I've read Romans 1, and I've read 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, and I've read Leviticus 18 and 20, and I'm kind of pretty sure that God's not interested in a relationship with me. So just, like, get over your delusion. And I was like, Mom, like... You have to choose between the God that is a delusion in your head and your real son standing right in front of you. Like, make a decision. And she was like, well, by loving God, I love you better. And it was kind of a good response. But I stormed out of the room, tried to close the door unconvincingly. (laughs) And my uncle and aunt left. And as they're in the car, my uncle, Holy Spirit came upon my uncle and he said, I see the Holy Spirit over David and he'll become a Christian in three months' time. And my aunt's like, are you sure about that? Did you see that? <laughs> so sure enough, I end up in this pub in three, month, three months later. And there's this girl there. And she's like kind of elfine and, and fabulous and like wears brooches and has like red lipstick and looks kind of like Audrey Hepburn. And um, as I'm there, I just was like, oh my gosh, she's put this film about handicapped people. I had a handicapped uncle. One of the things that really stirred me was in the Labour Party, a lot of people were like, let's just abort handicapped people. And it would just enrage me because my uncle was handicapped. I was like, how dare you? Like, I just can't even, like, I'd kind of react with the same virulence. And she had made this film about handicapped people and their struggle to be understood. And I was like, how did you make this film? How did you get into Tropfest? Like, tell me. She said, well, do you want the real answer or the interview answer? I was like, the real answer. She's like, well, it's God. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm surrounded by these Christians. There's a voice in my head like, get away from this fundamentalist. And another voice in my head like, listen to what she has to say. She's legit. And so as she's talking to me, she says, well, do you think there's a God? And I said, well, there's definitely something out there, but certainly not organized religion, etc." And then she says, well, I don't usually do this, but whoa, I can't really feel the presence of God right now in this pub. It's really intense. I think I, like, have to pray for you. Would you mind if I prayed for you? I mean, I don't usually do this. And um, by the way, have you experienced the love of God? Because if you haven't experienced the love of God, you can't really know who you are anyway. So, like, have you experienced the love of God? I was like, but I went to, like, a school where God was a concept in a Bible, not a real person in a Bible. (laughs) And that's what we are so dangerously close to as Western Christians is making God a concept when he's real. And I'm sick and tired of going to churches where he's just a concept. And you wouldn't stake your life on him. And the sacrifice of a gay person giving up their sexuality seems ludicrous and scary instead of something to be celebrated and lifted up and affirmed, you know? And that, that he's worthy of all praise of all ourselves. Um, and so she launches into the Christian prayer of the century 
the least seeker-sensitive prayer you could imagine in your life. In the name of Jesus, devil, get off him. The spirit of God, like this. I'm like, whoa, you know, <laughs> like, like he's been justified by the blood of the lamb. His name is written in the lamb's book of life. I tell you at the judgment day of the lamb, you know, like this, I'm like, whoa, you know. <laughs> and then suddenly she's praying for me. It's like, you go into this eternal moment. And I can just start to feel this like tingling sensation. I can feel it now on the top of my head. What is that? And I feel like this, David says in Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. And this oil, the sacred oil of David, the anointing of Jesus Christ was poured on my head and it went all the way down and over me and this royal dignity was clothing me. And I was like, wow, like, this is what I've been looking for. And in this moment, this voice said, do you want me? I was like, hello? (laughs) Creator of the universe? (laughs) Do you want me? (laughs) Do you want me? And every time I think of this moment, I think of how amazing our God is, that he would get down from his heavenly throne of absolute righteousness and holiness and purity and stoop down under me, a sinner like everyone in this room, and say, do you want me? And that's what he's saying to each one of you. Do you want me? Because I'm yours, baby. (laughs) God's love transcends sex. It transcends anything else in this world. It is the greatest experience, the highest ecstasy. It is greater than any idol that we marry our hearts to that Satan has tried to convince us to worship. It is greater, and God wants to give that to you today, regardless of where you are on the spectrum. There's lots of spectrums. (laughs) And so, this love was being poured out on me And I saw a veil over my heart, a pinprick of light going to the deepest place that I didn't even know existed, which Jesus talks about in John, the innermost place and the living waters of the Holy Spirit flow out from this place. And this breath entered me. I was like, I can breathe without breathing. What's happening to me? Jen's like, you're being born again. It's amazing. Praise God. It's the best day of your life. I'm like, I'm not a right-wing American Republican. You know, like, (laughs) she's like, no, that's not what it's about. You'll, you'll understand later. Like, just let me keep praying. I was like, great, okay, whatever. Oh, what's happening? <laughs> she's just like, Jesus, I just pray more, more, Lord. You know, it's like, pour out your spirit on all flesh. You know, and I'm like, what's flesh? Um, and then, <laughs> and then so, <laughs> prophecy and Joel, look it up. It's awesome. And so, you know, I'm just in this moment, it's like this tug of war, like these two kingdoms, these two principalities fighting over my soul. And one's like, get, get away, get away, this crazy, this crazy lady, lady she's, she's bonkers. And another saying, like, this is legit, like, listen to her, like, and this voice suddenly says to me again, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And this very weak, very unconvinced, yes, came out of my mouth. And the love of God was poured out in my heart. And I cannot explain to you, it goes beyond words, what that is like. And that love filled me 
and I cried tears of healing that I can't explain to you. It was like I, my heart was being healed. So I run home that night. My mom's waiting up. She's like, there's a prophecy, okay? You know, something's going to happen to David. We know this, God. You know, I've made a covenant with you. He's impossible, and you're the God of the impossible. So if you save David, I'll give you my whole life. Great, done, signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. Sure enough, I come home. She's like, David, are you okay? You look terrible. Something happened. Uh, Mom, I actually, like, became a Christian. You know, you can just, she's an opera singer, so it was like extra projected. And she's doing like praise laps around the house, and I'm like, whoa. Um, she's like, there's a prophecy, and I found out about all this like divine conspiracy stuff. I go to the film competition three weeks later, and I'm looking at a star in the sky, I'm like, God, I have a lot to give up, so it better be good, because I need to assign rational thing that you're there, because I, yeah, you get it. It's like Abraham looking at the stars run down to the red carpet, there she is with her pineapple trophy. She's won the whole film competition. She comes over to me, Kate Blanchett goes past, <laughs> Jeffrey Rush goes past, you know, and she says to me, David, you just need to know that God exists. He's been bugging me to tell you that all night, and I'm just his servant. This is all for his glory, and I was just gobsmacked. And she said, come to church with me on Sunday, and I'll give you that interview you wanted for the magazine. And I go to church with her on Sunday. It's the same church as my mom, my uncle, and my aunt. And God had orchestrated this crazy divine conspiracy. And I walk into that church, and the presence that I felt in that pub was a million times stronger. Because in this family of the church, God's presence dwells. We are his temple, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. So you need to be at church. You need to be plugged in. This is a place of encounter. This is a place where you will learn from the Messiah, the teacher, the great rabbi. You've got to go to church. No matter how much offense comes against you, no matter how many offenses people swing at you, you have to come to that. So this was not an easy journey, though. From that point for three years, I thought gay, mar I thought gay marriage was even more important because I wanted to have a holy covenant with my boyfriend, um, and I wanted that, you know, and so I started to fight, started to read theology, started to find all the authors that would argue my case, and, you know, went down to the front pastor and, like, gay teens is committing suicide, what are you going to do about it? Like, come on, let's move, let's do this, come on, church, like, you don't have to be 50 years behind everyone else. <laughs> the pastor's like, oh. <laughs> And, um, yes, David, thank you so much for your concern. Yeah, well, great, love you, bye, you know. Um, just, and my aunt said to me, well, David, it's easy for me to believe scripture on this issue. I'm not same-sex attracted. I'm not gay. I don't know what that's like. But you have the Holy Spirit. He will teach you. I agree with scripture. I think it's right because God inspired it. This is his word. I'm not going to change it. But you need to find this for yourself. And it says in 1 John that it's the anointing that teaches us all things through teachers and pastors, but also directly in our personal relationship with God. And you need both. You can't have one of the, you know, it's got to be both. And so one of the things I started to actually identify in the church was that there was this huge idolatry of marriage. When people praised their 
shouting was greater when someone got engaged than when God, that people praised God. There was a greater celebration for marriage than there was for the thing that marriage points to. And when people were celibate, they were like, there must be something wrong with you, you must be gay. And it was like, I started to see this. And equally, I went to Strasbourg, France, did my, my exchange here in France, and I'm in this room. And I'm like, God, I need you to give me an answer on homosexuality. I'm starving for intimacy. The church is not enough, even though it's meant to be the physical body for me that I get intimacy from. So, like, fr- throw me a bone. <laughs> like, and he said, I'm sending you a birthday present. And on my birthday, this book by Wesley Hill that's at the back, washed and waiting, came in the mail. I opened it. I read it. And as I read Wesley's story, it was like my story written on a page. And I just knew God was saying to me, I want you to give me your homosexuality. I was like, but it's my precious. <laughs> it's the thing I've invested my whole life in fighting for God. Come on. And he's like, I need you to give it to me. Like 100% give it to me. And I was like, and I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me and I just released my homosexuality to God and it no longer became my identity but it became something that went under Christ and that was submitted to Christ and the next day I saw a really cute French guy ended up in bed with him um, and said that I was celibate that day but actually my humanity came and totally wrecked that and I ended up in bed with him and, and the Holy Spirit hit me and Father said to me you can't give him the love that only I can and stop trying to do it. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that I was depraved, that I was a sinner, and I just had to face this. I said, I can't do this. I can only be your friend. I'm so sorry. And it was not by my strength, not by my might, but by the Spirit of the Lord that I have been righteous and that I've walked that path of celibacy out. And I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what happened and I think today we see this false dichotomy between affirming or rejecting when actually what Jesus is calling us to do is to accept and love and we think that we need to just radically identify or radically differentiate when we need to do both at the same time and an affirming theology is not loving to the gay community it is actually taking the truth away from us and saying this is okay it's fine And look, there is so much good in gay relationships, and we make the error as Christians of rejecting everything in a gay relationship, when actually there's a lot of good. There's a real friendship. There's a real bond there that has value and that we need to respect. But there's also sin, and there's also that sexual brokenness that Scripture is very clear about. And so we have to hold these two together. And you don't have to agree with me. If you're gay here, you can have a different view. But go to Jesus. Don't take my word for it. You know, question it. There's side B, side A, two different perspectives. And God invites you to check this out. He's not going to force a burden on your shoulders that is too hard to carry. And so, for me, there are two different types of obedience that God calls for. Uh, Two different types of obedience, but only one that God calls for. The obedience of law is the obedience we often find in Christian culture. We'll just do it because the Bible says so and stop complaining. (laughs) And actually that brings death and condemnation. Whereas the obedience of faith and love is an act of worship. I'm giving my body up to you, Jesus, because you gave me your body. And we are joining together. And that's what it says in that eunuch passage. It says those who are joined to the Lord. And actually the word is married. 
betrothed. And God romances our soul. He romances our hearts. And he gives us a worshipful heart that puts him above everything else. And that's what we need in the church today. And actually, I was with, I think I could share this, Tim Keller's wife. And she said to me, you know what, David? Do you know where the next big revival is coming from? I'm like, oh, where? Tell me. <laughs> revival. <laughs> we need revival, Lord. I didn't get saved for this. Lukewarm stuff. Please save me from the Christians. <laughs> and he's like, God's like, well, I had a lot of grace for you. How much more grace do you need to have for the church? Yes, sorry, Lord. It's going to come from the sold out, give it all, same-sex attracted, gay, trans, whatever, or straight Christians. That's where revival is going to happen. And this church can be a revival church. This church can lay it all down. And the gay community can come in here and the presence of God can touch them. Any community, <laughs> care what it is, can be touched by the impossible love of God. And so I just want to encourage you guys to stay in the Word, but stay in the love and Spirit of God and hold the Word and Spirit together. Um, now, just really, how am I going for time? Should I end there? What do we have? I'm going to run through this really quickly because I didn't do this in the last session, but I think it's really, really important. There are four different things that I think take out Christians on this issue. And the one, first one is that the first commandment of God is to have no other God but Him. So worship life. could be romantic love. It could be anything that will take out a Christian, gay, straight, whatever. And, you know, this false worship comes into our hearts. We don't trust God with our deepest needs of intimacy. We trust something else. Um, and actually, we don't embrace that romance fully that he's giving us. We don't enjoy him. I find it really hard when I meet Christians that don't enjoy God. Like, you know, St. Teresa of Avila, one of the greatest Christian mystics of all time, she said the one phrase that transformed her life forever was enjoy me, enjoy me. The greatest, the chiefest end of man in the Reformed Creed is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is why I am celibate. <laughs> because I get to enjoy Him with my whole self. And if you're married, you get to enjoy Him through an analogy of male and female. Christ and the church being one. And you see this beautiful triangle that reflects the Trinitarian glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons distinct in one essence. Three persons, male, female, God, in one essence. Legalistic prejudice. The next lie is that the gospel and Christians just want me to be repressed. They just want to control me. The secular world signs up, and even Christians who are in professions who see the overwhelming statistics regarding gay teen suicide and depression sign up for this. But legalism, not the traditional Christian view, is what produces the death of thousands of LGBTQI youth. Paul states the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so that's the other thing that gets in the way. The third thing is fear-based Christian leadership. There is this gay person in church. There is this person wanting to bring revival, whatever, they're sold out. Or this person who doesn't agree with that perspective and is struggling, and the pastor or the Christian leader is just so afraid of what to do and can't, you know, they kind of just dismiss it. Or sometimes they crush it. When actually that's what God is doing. And so the gay Christian has to go outside the church. 
because it's the leadership. That's what I love about this church is you're not, that that's not happening. There is the fear-based Christian leadership is not here because it's being talked about, and that's awesome. And then finally, this is the big one. There are so many times I could have been offended. There are so many times I could have been bitter. There are so many times I could have had self-pity and said, why me? Why do I have to give this up? And Hebrews 12.15 warns us that, see, it, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And the reality of our walk and calling is that we are constantly sent messages that could deeply hurt us from our spiritual enemy. And we have to be on guard. And we have to have our shield of faith up. I do not receive that. And we also have to have support ne- networks for people. So that bitterness, that offense can just wipe you out. Um, and so I'm actually going to stop there. I thought we'd start to Q&A. Um, I wanted to introduce my lovely friend, Erica. Um, she studied at the Oxford Center of Christian, for Christian Apologetics with me. We had John Lennox there, who's like, well, Richard, I beg to differ. You know, if you know about new atheism, you'll know that. And um, she's amazing, great heart for the LGBTQI community, all, all people, but particularly that. And she's running a group at her house to discuss these topics where it's an open invite to all. Um, yeah, so she's gonna help me out with Q&A. And she's also got like the extra points. I'm your token, like yeah. heterosexual normative person to help out. But she's a Korean woman as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking, sorry. Yes, that's true. We um, are gonna get some questions on the screen. Great. I hope at some point. Maybe. It's all good. So, Erica. Look, there we go. Great, here we go. Uh, first one is, do you have to be celibate to be a gay Christian? So, I would say that there are two different sides to this debate, and there are different stages of a Christian's development, and I think God has grace for us all as we're wrestling with things, and we need to wrestle. Israel means the one who's wrestled or striven with God, and it's okay to have a wrestle. And it, we need to give people space to, oh, you know, get in there with that angel. You know, and just really think about this and consider it. And that's why I went to Oxford. Because I don't want to just say this as if I know it, just because the Bible says so. I want to know in the nature of God why the Bible says it. And so I think that's one thing we have to shift is once we know God, everything aligns. Once we worship Him, everything aligns. And so I would say eventually you'll either end up celibate or in an inter-orientation relationship with someone of the opposite sex, and God will give you a special grace for one person. Because it only needs to be one person if you're married. And God could do that with me, or he could not. And actually, I said to him I prefer to be celibate because I get to run around the world and preach the love of God. So, <laughs> yes and no is <laughs> my answer. I, initially, no. Eventually, yes. <laughs> or the other option of inter- inter-orientation marriage. Yeah, I think a really good question to, um, or a good thing to think about is, is there a cost in following Jesus? Mm. Does he want everything? And I think what's so great about David's story is, like, even us straight people in the room might feel convicted. Like, Mm. am I giving everything to the Lord? Mm. And the answer, like, has to be yes. It does. That's great. 
Second one is, uh, how can we as a church care for people who are homosexual but want to remain celibate? I think I've already said this, but I'll just reiterate it. Jesus says in Revelation, be hot or cold or I'll spit you out of my mouth. Do not be lukewarm. Um, And I think the best thing we can do as Christians is to be sold out, is to lay everything down, is to live in communities where we sell everything and live together, to find some wealthy investor who can buy a house in Balmain and rent it a little lower and we all move in together for three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, who knows? Um, And we, we have times of commitment in community that where church is seven days a week, or you might live in separate places, but you meet every few nights. You know, it's just a matter of having that community. Because let me tell you, you will be sanctified if you move into community. I lived in a group called Hot House. It was based on that, that scripture where we just wanted to be hot. And oh, can I tell you, it threatened the religious mindset of my Anglican charismatic church. Like, you would not believe. Oh, it stirred it. Because when we came in, we didn't just talk about revival, we were revival. And we were saying, come on church, get out of your upper middle class comfort and live for Jesus and sell out and die. We're doing it. We didn't do it well. And it stuffed up and it went wrong. And we were just as hypocritical, but we tried, you know? And so we got it wrong and the poor Christian leaders, I love them and they're awesome. But there's this wrestle in church life of finding that community where your family and it works. And Jesus said, you must hate your mother, brother, and sister. And he said to his mother, no, I'm with my family, those who do the will of God. And so there's like some Jesus sass to think about. In California, a hothouse means something very different. Yeah. I know. know I didn't arrival. even think about that. I just, You're yeah. Like re- yeah, taking that the and name and putting Exactly, the yeah. Uh, how can a straight Christian care well for same-sex attracted Christian friends and how can they best love and care for their same-sex attracted non-Christian friends? I think you have a really good response on this one about marriages being turned out. Yeah. um, Firstly, what David says, I don't know if you're about to say this, is pursue Jesus fully. Mm. I mean, that is the number one thing that you can do for everyone in your community Mm. is to sell out. And the second thing, I, I'm married. James is my husband. We've been married since November. And Fake we, couple. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we were really intentional about being inclusive throughout our dating time. We had, you know, numbers of third wheels always with us. And <laughs> when we did get married, we actually chose to live um, with James's dad because, you know, he's not a believer. And we, we, had, we knew that we we're going to have a sh- very short time to be able to witness to him. And, you know, don't fall into that trap where, okay, we, everything, that, now that we're married, it all needs to be about us and we need to focus. And yes, there are times where you need to really focus and build your marriage, but that doesn't mean, you know, living under a shell mm. because God calls two people together to extend the ministry capacity that you have. Right. Right. And I would really encourage us um, to think about how we can be open homes and open communities for anyone who's lonely. Mm-hmm. anyone. And I'd say the reason that I wanted to have Erica answering with me is because it's not just about me. This is a communal solution together as one body. So it's not just about marriage, celibacy, it's all of us together, whatever our state is, loving one another and laying down our lives for each other. How can Christians best talk to someone who is pursuing a same-sex relationship and still trying to hold on to their relationship with Jesus? 
This is a big one. Um, I think there's two different things, radical identification and radical differentiation. Like my aunt did, she said, this is what the word says, this is how it is, I believe it to be so easy for me. You need the space to discover that. If you have a boyfriend, bring him to church. No sex before marriage. <laughs> That's clear, clear in scripture, I'm like, yeah, I'll agree on that one. Um, but you're welcome. We can't put you on leadership because leaders are examples to our community and we don't agree scripturally that that's right. But you are welcome to be part of every other aspect of church life. We love you. We want you here. And I actually felt really released by that. I felt like, oh, I don't have to agree with her. I don't have to agree with things straight away. I can actually explore. Um, and I think it's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> like The church and the gay community are going to get through this and there's going to be people in the church. Like, I want to see this church filled with gay couples, with all sorts of couples, with all sorts of beliefs that eventually come to lay down everything for Jesus. That's what I want to see. That's why I'm here. And I know that's what Gavin wants to see. That's what we all want to see. And so, yeah, just, again, I think worship, knowing that he is number one and tasting and seeing that he's good and just really enjoying God um, is what that person needs. They need to come back to that place where they get wrecked by the reckless love of God. They need to feel that intimacy, to know that intimacy in the Word, to know that it's true, and that they can actually put that very deep desire that is an entanglement of the fall and the very good creation all together, and think about that future reality where every single human being will have perfect relationship with each other and perfect relationship with Jesus. I mean, imagine that. And you get to be a sign of that on heaven, of heaven on earth, whether in marriage or celibately, because there will be no marriage in, in heaven and marriage points to that reality anyway. I would say ask them questions. I think Jesus' mm. ministry is so full of one that he asks questions rather than saying, and you genuinely, we genuinely have to listen and give people the space. Um, I think one a thing that really hit me personally is my friend who is changing his theology and started to pursue a relationship. Um, I didn't, I knew that he had thought about it all. You know, he had read all the books and stuff. And we were driving in London one time, and we pulled over it, and I said, why don't we ask Jesus to tell us the truth? Because he is the truth and the light. And why don't we welcome him? And I'll actually welcome him too. Like, I'll, I want to be humble in this and um, not take the moral high ground, but say, let's pursue the truth, i.e., let's pursue Jesus. And the Holy Spirit really made himself present in the car, and we are both crying and saying, like, how, how should we live, Lord? Show us the way. So I think that's really important is to be open to praying for our friends. Yeah. Last question. What do you think it would look like for, a ch uh, for the church to repent of its overemphasis, idolatry of romance slash marriage? So I go to a church where the pastor regularly, and I have grace and I love this pastor, I'm not speaking against them, but he will regularly say, singles, stand up, great, you've got your marriage partners, hurry up and get married. And this is not to shame him. This is Christian culture that we live in. He's just repeating what Christian culture is. And he's just repeating 
And it's easy to say that, but actually most of us fall into this kind of thing where we're just constantly like, if I'm not, again, our culture, Disney, everything, although they're, sh they're shifting. <laughs> Disney! You know, Beauty and the Beast, like, if I don't have that love, romantic relationship, I'll never be whole, I'll never be one. Woody Allen just never take his love advice, like, seriously, <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, and so I would say the way that you can break that is to be willing to be celibate as a heterosexual person and not see that as weird and actually say, that's awesome. Hey, uh, God, I'd love to be that if you want me to. If you don't want me to be married, bring it on. I'll go freaking preach the gospel in the Amazon if you want me to. Like, just use me, have me. I mean, I don't know, but this is one leader, Heidi Baker, who I absolutely love. She's a bit crazy. We love that. Um, she's out there. She just, like, transformed the whole nation with the gospel and, like, she can't even preach because all she wants to do is just worship the Lamb. She can't even stand up because she's just overcome by the glory of God. And I'm not saying that's how you have to be. <laughs> but I think that's a picture into like this complete, my whole satisfaction, my whole life will be nothing unless it's driven and determined by Jesus. Don't make him just your savior. Make him your Lord. The fear of the Lord is clean. It will cleanse your heart. It will make your desires different. And then God will satisfy every delight, every desire of your heart once your heart's been changed to desire the things of God. So I would say you need that desire transformation um, that we get through the Spirit and through the blood of Jesus and the love of the Father. I would also say get embraced by the Father. Get in His arms. Don't be an orphan. Don't look for love from your husband or wife or friends ultimately look for it in the arms of the Father. And I had an experience where I was, felt so much rejection and I was so hurt by rejection, I was trying to find love from my male friend. And I didn't know that. And he would be like, you're trying to control me, like I'm just straight, I don't do intimacy with guys. Um, <laughs> I was like, just get over your masculinist crap, you know, and just like love me, you know. <laughs> God said to me, if you don't have any beloved relationships in your life, your ministry will be worth nothing. You need to have covenant friendships in your life like David and Jonathan, Naomi, Ruth, Jesus and John. And I realized that the reason I couldn't do that and these relationships getting, kept getting sabotaged was because I felt rejected. And I was in a healing course at, a ch at my church, which was awesome. And they worked on your image of God and how you saw God. And deep, 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 deep down, I still had that rejection. And God said, I need you to be like a baby in my arms, completely naked, no covering, and I need to be able to look at you and see you. And I did this eventually, gave in, and I just not everywhere. He like completely shifted my heart. So I'd say that's what you also need as well, <laughs> if you've got that, is, an, is a moment with the Father where you can, lots of moments with the Father where you can be taken out of that orphan into that son of or daughter of God reality. Yeah. Did you want to pray for us? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Erica. Um, so, I want to open up this time for three different groups of people. But before I do that, I want to read you a quote from Jim Carrey that recently came out that I just think is literally blew my socks off when I heard it. And I want us to think about these words. I want to speak to the fact that this room is filled with God, 
When you step through these doors and decide to be part of this family, you've made a decision to transcend and leave that darkness behind. It takes a champion to make that decision. Parenthesis, especially if you're LGBTQI, it's hard as well. I really want to speak to the fact that I've had many challenges. I've been lonely, it's been hard, it's not always easy. And I believe ultimately suffering leads to real salvation. We have to somehow not reject or refuse our suffering, but to face it. And then we have two options. We have the gate of vengeance, which leads to self-harm, disbelief, suicide, you name it. (laughs) or harm of others, or the gate of forgiveness that leads to grace, relationship, and life. And the fact that you have made the decision to be here tonight is an indication that you want to make that decision just as Christ did on the cross and suffered terribly and was broken by it to the point of doubt and almost feeling an absolute abandonment. The decision he made was to look upon the people or the situation that was causing that suffering with forgiveness. And that is what opens the gates of heaven for all of us. And I'm not saying tonight you have to go through the cross, but in some sense you do in your own personal way. Jesus took that pain, took that suffering for us, but we also have to die. We also have to face our pain. And I think our generation is trying to avoid that pain, trying to avoid that reality that things are hard and things are painful. And so I want to invite you tonight to just step through that door of forgiveness. I want to invite anyone to make the decision to receive or turn back to Jesus Christ again and to step through the gates of forgiveness. It could be the seventh million time that you've given your life to Christ. It could be the first. It could be that you are gay or trans or intersex or you name it and you've been hurt by the church and I want to make an apology to you today. It could be that you have never heard that God really does love you. Jesus said in the Gospels, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And for this reason, I'm going to invite you all to raise your hand if this is you, if you are one of these people, if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm just going to count to three and everyone just closes their eyes. Um, And I'm just going to ask, like, if that is you tonight and you want to start that relationship for the first time or you want to rededicate and you've been far from God. And so, Heavenly Father, across this room, I pray, Holy Spirit, come and touch every heart. I pray the wind of heaven would descend now upon every person. And Lord, you are knocking at the door and you say, whoever answers and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. I'll come in and have that intimacy, love relationship. And so if that is you tonight, I want you to raise your hand at the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. I see your hand there. And I see your hand at the back. I see your hands there. Thank you so much. And so we're all just going to pray that prayer. Is there anyone else? Just quickly. So you just put it straight up. No one's judging. Okay. We're all going to pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross and he rose again to confirm that you really love me no matter what. 
that you've made me right with you no matter what. I turn from my sin and I believe in you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Love me, Lord. Wash me clean. Come dwell in my heart. Come dwell in all of me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you lifted your hands, please come up and see me at the end and we can talk more about what it means to follow Jesus. Thanks so much. We would love now if you could just pull out these, uh, these little slips, these feedback slips are on your chairs, your feet somewhere. We want to give you time now to fill these in. And we would love if everyone could do this so nobody feels awkward. So if everyone could pull these out, no matter if you've been here before, you have here every week. And to fill these in and let us know how we can pray for you, any questions you might have. Uh, you may have, uh, have, have heard what David said tonight and been really moved by that. You may have given your life to Jesus tonight. Whatever it is, we want to follow you up. We want to help you to come to know this hope that David was talking about. So if you put your hand up, we'd love you to fill this in so we can get you any.